Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, a place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good evening. And together, we hope to educate, inspire, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. Today's guest is the crunchy legal lady known to our friends as Julie who was a law clerk and legal researcher for one of the most successful law firms in the health freedom space. Before attending law school, Julie worked for seven years in the research consulting world for clients such as Harvard, Yale, and Google. It was during this time that Julie became disillusioned with the research industry and began questioning the mainstream scientific narrative. After thoroughly researching regulatory agencies and their claims, Julie felt called to help fight for bodily autonomy and medical freedom, which led her to law school and eventually becoming the crunchy legal lady. Man. And before we jump into this episode, the we wanted to start it off by kind of giving some context as to what we're hoping to accomplish by talking to Julie today. Mm-hmm. Because we're going to dive into some really, I'm going to call them almost like scary topics, mm-hmm. some things that would make some people potentially feel uneasy. And we wanted to do those things because I feel like the, the things, we want to demystify the things that don't get talked about. Mm. Not because we want to change your mind and how you do things, but because we want people to be educated to make the decisions for themselves. Totally. And that's it. It's going to be so easy to hear this. And if there, if you sense a leaning in some capacity to get all fired up. And we're just going to ask that, please don't do that. <laughs> please take this information as education. Julie is so sharp. And the things that she shares in this episode are so outstanding that, man, please don't let it get tainted with some kind of agenda that you might think there is, you know, within this. Totally. I think sometimes, like, especially because for this episode, we had to record in person, which you'll hear as we introduce the show. We'll bring Julie in in just a moment. But a lot of times when we have these conversations and I get sucked into what we are talking about, I forget we're even recording and I just am in conversation Mm -hmm. mode, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not necessarily like, how can I be the most stoic podcast host? And um, so, yeah, you'll hear some passion from me for sure. But this episode is not meant to change your mind, influence you in a way that you weren't intending to be influenced. This is just a conversation and education around topics that we feel don't get discussed. Right on. So if you like it and you're still annoyed and upset, let us know. But if you love it, also (laughs) let us know and uh, enjoy the episode. Enjoy. All right. Here with Julie, the crunchy legal lady. I'm so excited. So I'm going to give a little background because to me, this is so fascinating. But we actually tried to record this episode earlier today. Had just massive uh, technical issues. It was totally our fault. But like, we then, through that experience, realized that Julie only lives an hour and a half away. And bless her heart, she's sitting right here in front of us. So we're in person recording this, which is just an honor. So thanks for being here. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thank you. I can't wait to like have dinner after and hang out. This is just great. So in part of our time earlier today when we were chatting about all the things we could cover in this episode, I was really fascinated by what you describe as your disillusion with our regulatory agencies. And in your seven years of working in consulting research, you kind of had the layers peeled back a little bit. So walk me through that experience and what you learned in that time. Well, I think I went into research. My family is a very medical family Mm -hmm. and everybody kind of has like a specialty per se. Mm -hmm. You're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're something. And so research was the way that I was going to give back, you know, in that 
area of my life. And I think I really went into it with this idea that, you know, research is going to change the world. It's what helps things go around. It's going to help all these organizations do good and learn and make all these great, um, you know, uh, antidotes to things, things like that. Yeah. And then the reality is that research is very difficult to conduct and it's very difficult to do it well. And because it's very difficult to do it well, a lot of times money makes up for the difficulty and money happens to run the studies and, you know, money happens to run the results too. And I think I was very surprised and I felt a little unethical Mm. about the way the research was being conducted, about my clients, and it wasn't necessarily anything that the company I was working for could fix. And it mm-hmm. wasn't just the company I was working for. It is just the research industry. Yeah. It's it's everyone. It's everywhere. And there's just some things that you can't. So, for example, if you're running like surveys, studies, which is actually the bulk of research comes from surveys. That's uh-huh. just the truth. And so if you're doing that, it's impossible to know if the people that you're surveying are robots or not. Mm. It's just impossible. What kind of research were you in? So I worked a lot in the market research space. So I, I worked with Google. I worked with Harvard and Yale. Did you work for an agency? Uh, I did not work for a specific agency. I worked for a really big tech company. No kidding. Yes. Okay. Uh, what was that tech company? Um, cool. You don't have to say it. If you yeah, don't I don't want to oh, okay. say it. I don't want to. I, mean, I could sense your hesitation. Yeah. You're like, ah. Um, I, I own a market research company. Oh, do you? And so, but we're all qualitative. Okay. Yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and I, it's like hearing you talk, I am like right there. Right. And mm-hmm. I totally understand everything you're saying. Right. So like on the quantitative side, a huge like big data problem that people are dealing with right now is that with like the especially with the introduction of like chat gpt and like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there are surveys that people will send out for research that like like bot farms in in i don't know sudan or india or wherever could be taking like thousands and thousands and thousands of surveys and so you're like they're getting the money but they're having the bots fill it out exactly oh so what she's saying right now is like so true and a major epidemic and research is in, is in a hard spot fascinating sure. oh yeah oh yeah okay so continue and you know and i i did get to consult on some studies that were medical studies all all kinds you mm-hmm. know because my job was to figure out is it possible to do this study can we find the people mm-hmm. and is the study laid out in a format that will give us results right like good results mm-hmm. and then kind of work on the qualitative end on the back end so that was kind of what i was doing and consulting people and working with them and that's just a huge problem Mm -hmm. robots are just it's a giant no matter where you go it does not matter who you use you could you know say that like oh research now like there's so much cleaner or whatever but it's just not true Mm -hmm. you know it's just not true and i was feeling awful about it because i was helping people get their phds Mm -hmm. right they're basing their dissertations off of this you know and and this stuff was getting published it was getting used for commercials it was getting used for campaigns and the reason that i left honestly was because i mean all of this can be explained away and anyone who works in that field still will explain it away to you and say you know this is just the way it has to be Mm -hmm. and that may be true because research is very difficult to do in a way that is actually ethical and well done you know to the parameters that meets the scientific method that's true Mm -hmm. but there was one point where there was a study being done about a a political campaign and 
I knew that this study was not going to work out. Mm. I knew we weren't going to get respondents. I knew that they would drop off. I knew mm. things weren't going to work out. And they were like, no, we're going to launch the study anyway. Mm. We're going to do it anyway. Of course, like the salespeople are like, yes, yes, yes. And so we launched the study. And of course, everything drops off. You know, mm. it's not working out. And then all of a sudden, the numbers just start tick, 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 tick. You know, things could start coming in. It starts working out. And a project manager came to me and said, I, I think that these results have been put in manually. No way. Yes. And the results had been put so in manually. So you were, you were in the project and like respondents were not being qualified or like, or, or accepting the survey. Yes, correct. And then all of a sudden data started populating. Correct. Wow. Who's manually putting this in? It was actually the salesperson. No oh, bless. Yes, it was the salesperson putting this in. And that person never got fired for doing that. And that, to me, like, that was the line. That was it. I mean, I didn't even, I didn't get to be a part of talking to the people actually trying to run this study or what I think it actually ended up getting published in a political journal. So I, I don't know what happened. But for me, like, okay, that's it. It's over, you know. Uh, I don't know what what is real, what is not real anymore. And uh, I had a sister who she had already kind of dived into the holistic world a little bit mm. uh, due to her own, own children's experiences and vaccine injury. Mm -hmm. And it was not uh, to the extent that some people suffer, thank goodness. But she had just kind of gone off her own feeling. You know, she, her background is actually nutrition and child development. Mm. She knew that something was wrong. And she would talk to me about it. And I would kind of like brush it aside and be like, oh, yeah, you know, this or that. Because I had worked with the WHO before. I'd worked with the CDC in these mm. studies. They'd come and, and people had actually come trying to run studies on unvaccinated people before. And kind of the thought was, oh, there's too few of them to find. I can you find know. you a ton. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's too, too, too few. So uh, and I hadn't had like the best experience working with government agencies and in, in feeling that they were competent or as intelligent and maybe they should be already yeah. but after that experience with the political campaign i started to really you know think things over i had my first child as well and so i was really going through that process of starting to really vet things what do i think what do i not think and then it was just like okay let's go on the fda website and read every single study mm -hmm. let's go wow. page by page and you know let's go to the cdc website let's read every single study okay let's go so it became that kind of journey for me and that kind of disillusionment to this day. I mean, part of my job is sitting in on these meetings, but to this day, you know, I go to the meetings, I listen to what they have to say, right? I'm in there trying to figure out what are our government agencies doing for us mm -hmm. and researching. And so that kind of led me into law. Mm, being the country legal lady. Yeah. Something that is always frustrating to me. I think I have like a really old post about this is like people will be like, there's no data to back that up. Like there's no data to back up that like raw milk is better for you. Like where are the double blind placebo clinical trials? And I'm like, yo, <laughs> <laughs> there are all kinds of science. Science can be conducted in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be like this clinical trial, but also the fact that we have um, consolidated our understanding of science and its integrity to just what industry research is churning out is so frustrating because when you have things like historical context that you're bringing into mm. the place, when you've got 
just like anecdotal evidence. I understand that that can also be tricky, but we can't get to a place where we don't trust what people are saying anymore, especially when they have no reason to lie about it. Are there some people that are not going to be truthful? Sure. But to me, I just it gets frustrating when it's like, I have found success eating this whole real food that seems to match up with my biology. And the response is like, well, where's the trial? And it's like, you can't conduct a trial like that. Mm-hmm. There wouldn't, there would be too many variables you, you'd have to control. It would be an artificial environment at that point. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to hear you peeking behind the curtains a little bit and saying like, listen, it's not as cut and dry as it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk just because you mentioned it. Let's talk about what it looks like to sit in on those FDA meetings and, and the experience you've had. Oh, sure. Well, and I think I've said this before, but if you really want to judge the competency of our regulators, sit in on a meeting. Yeah. You know, sit on an, in on one of these meetings, a VRBAC meeting, an ASIP meeting, and just listen. Listen to what is being said. Listen to the way people are doing it. I think something that has to be cleared up right away, and this is a big misconception that comes around, is this idea that, like, the FDA is going out and they are the ones conducting these studies for these products that we are putting in our body. And that's not true. It's not true at all. A sponsor, which is a manufacturer, comes to the FDA. They say, hey, FDA, we have this product. We really would like you to approve it. We'll pay you all this money to do this. And then they, the sponsor or the manufacturer, conducts the study. Mm. Periodically, the FDA peeks in on the study. They might say, give us some interim data. Let's see how it's going, Mm. right? But they're not there at the facility. They're not there looking at what's being done. They get the reports. Mm -hmm. And then after that, after they get all the reports and the sponsor says, hey, I'm ready for you to look at this. You know, let's take it to a committee. The FDA has committees and those committees will be made up of a set number of Uh, committee members so they'll select them usually from universities Uh, these are doctors or or people in specialties at universities and then they will have like five maybe it depends on the committee of people who are new who also have this specialty but who aren't on the committee Mm. every single time Mm -hmm. so they have those core people and then what happens is the sponsor gets to present their product to the committee. So they present their data. They present everything to the committee in kind of like 20 to 30 minute presentations. There's a little bit of a Q&A. And then the FDA will also present, you know, their findings or they'll, they will present some stuff too. But the sponsor is there the whole way through. The sponsor gets to interject. The sponsor gets to talk to these people. And then the committee members are supposed to talk amongst themselves then there's like a public commentary um, section and then there's a vote. Mm. And so the way that this is this works, I don't think people understand the pressure of being a committee member because the pressure is there from the sponsor and from the FDA. They have very little. I mean, they have expertise in the subject matter. But they have not very much time with the documents. They don't get to read the whole study. They don't get all the documents. They get to see the presentation and then they get a packet. And you can have that packet too. Anyone can look at that packet. Mm. And a lot of people who comment do look at that packet and find the errors. But for them, they're kind of on this time crunch, Mm -hmm. right? In this spot, they have someone looking over their shoulder, you know, and and especially when it comes to stuff like a vaccine or something that's incredibly common, like a painkiller or something like that. Yeah. You know, they are going to get this pressure like you have to say yes or else 
you are anti-science, mm. right? You have to say yes or else you're anti-science. And when you listen to these committee members, like just a couple meetings ago, one of them you know, was like, hey, after we vote on this, and this was a committee member who has been a committee member as long as I have been researching this. So this is a long time. Wow. Said, you know, hey, what happens to this after we say yes? After we approve it, what happens? Mm -hmm. They don't know. They don't know what happens. You know, they, they don't know how much the FDA is checking up. The FDA doesn't come back to them and give them data. And the FDA was like, oh, well, you know, like we will check in on them post-marketing. You know, we'll check in maybe six months later, maybe a year and a half. We don't know. It just depends. We'll monitor. Don't worry. We'll monitor. You know, and, and some of these scientists are now finally beginning to express some frustration because they're like, hey, we're trying to make decisions in a vacuum and we don't actually have that much information. We don't actually know that much. And yet they continue to approve it because if they don't, you know, then you might lose your committee spot, right? Mm. You might lose your good look. You might lose the status of being a, you know, highly regarded scientist. And I mean, um, one of the most prevalent that is in the media often is Paul Offit, right? Mm -hmm. And recently, he has voted no on a couple of vaccines, right? The booster and, and also the RSV. and he's, Which they're telling pregnant women to get. Yes, which they're telling pregnant women to get. Key point. Yes, Insane. key point. When GSK also tried to make the same vaccine, and they had so many stillbirths and preterm births with almost an identical product that they stopped. They halted and they said, no way, we're not going to do this. But of course, Pfizer's like, well, we're going through, you know, this mm. is going through. So um, even, you know, Paul Offit has gotten a lot of kickback, right? And he's really been trying to claw his way back and say like, no, you know, I, I'm a true scientist. I really believe in vaccines. Don't try to say I'm an anti-vaxxer. So if someone who has created a vaccine and has mm. been one of the most outspoken vaccinologists of all time, really, yeah, yeah. right, can get this kind of kickback, what do these other scientists feel? So, someone like me that doesn't know who Paul Offit is. Right. And would like to know. Be yes. blessed. Can, can you give me a quick, like, spark notes of, of who this guy is and, and how he got to where he is? Yes. So Paul Offit studied under Stanley Plotkin, who is the godfather of vaccines. So he, Stanley Plotkin actually wrote the book on vaccines. It wow. is like the vaccine Bible. He created six vaccines. No way. Yes. And then Paul Offit worked with Stanley Plotkin personally, and he also created two vaccines. Um, and particularly his vaccine is the rotavirus vaccine, mm. okay. the oral one that's given to children. He owns the patent on them, mm -hmm. right? Oh, okay. so, he, so there's mm -hmm. like, yeah. And so now he's a legal official. He's not a legal official. So okay. that's something to clear up too, right? The people in these committee meetings, they're not um, legal officials. Some of them may be like associated with the FDA or like work for the FDA. But usually these are professors, you okay. know, they're associated with a university. Okay. So this is the way that the FDA says like, hey, look at us. We're bringing in a, a third party, quote right. unquote, third party. Right a committee to look at this so i see it's like a board of directors to oversee the a committee to oversee okay and so he just happens to be on this particular committee what committee is this Verback, yeah Verback. What is what is that um it's the vaccine and biologics uh committee to okay. approve yeah so whenever we have a new vaccine that we yes. want to push through I mean, we yeah. the country of the united states it goes through this committee yes correct okay
Yes, right, so yes. It's a big committee. It's a big committee. It's an, it, a very it. important committee, right? Yeah. There are there are a number of other committees. This committee is particularly important because biologics is, you know, it's kind of a big category when you add in vaccines. Yeah. And also blood products and stuff like that. So who uh, chooses who's on this committee? So the FDA is the one who gets to choose who's on okay. the committee, okay. right? And and right now, well, I guess he's he's leaving, but um, Peter Marks, he's like the head of this division. So there'll be like a, a head of this division. Usually they're a doctor of some type, like a PhD, and, and they're the ones who kind of get to direct everything, and it gets trickled down through them, and they choose these committee members. Wow. And my taxpayer dollars fund the FDA? Correct. Right? And the CDC? Yes. Okay, just making sure I understand it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, yes. And ah. I think just understanding, like, the immense pressure. Like, some of these scientists, when you watch them and you listen to them, they are earnest. Mm. Right? They are earnest. Yes. They really believe in it. And they believe in this process. And then you see as they have questions and they, they ask their questions and they kind of get, like, beaten down a little bit here and a little bit there. And they feel the immense pressure of, I better I better vote yes. Right? This is really particular to vaccines but also like i said any product that is like a one and done product you know something we are not skeptical of right so these scientists really feel um you know they have to explain themselves they have to make sure they're on the good side there was an asap meeting recently where a few people voted no to an rsv vaccines not not for pregnant women but for older adults mm -hmm. And they felt, you know, all these doctors at the beginning of the second day meeting, because this was like a long, it's like a mega meeting. And mm -hmm. then they have kind of like a party afterwards. <laughs> so <laughs> during this meeting, um, you know, at the beginning of the day, of course, a doc the doctor gets up who's, you know, kind of facilitating. And mm -hmm. she says, you know, there are some of the doctors who would really like to explain their vote from yesterday and really want to talk about it. And these doctors just got up and said, you know, I voted no. And I really have to tell you why. You know, I believe in vaccines with all my heart. And that and this is the real speech. Like, I'm not trying to make this like cartoonish or anything like that. But this is really how they're talking, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I really believe in vaccines. I want you to know. I really believe and I just I just didn't feel the data was there but I am tr a true scientist you know giving all these things just uh, you can tell the pressure for mm -hmm. them is really intense mm. so I don't want to blame them right. you know some of them some committee members like Dr. Offit do get kickbacks right they're going to get kickbacks and probably most of them do mm -hmm. at some point in, in time but I, I don't want to take away that a lot of these doctors are earnest mm -hmm. But they've been in it so long, they cannot see the forest for the trees. Yeah. And they set aside things that they think are small, which are not small mm -hmm. at all. Wow. And that's the tricky piece, too, is like anytime something is questioned, especially when it's vaccine related, it's such a trigger word. And I, I understand why, because if you if you operate under the narrative that vaccines are why we have lived this long, then, yeah, someone else not vaccinating is a threat to your livelihood. But if you understand that there's a broader context there, then um, even asking a question, it puts you into this camp of like, it's almost like we don't even talk about it. It's like mm -hmm. Voldemort. It's like, don't even say his name. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And that is the trickiest piece when you are starting to peel back layers because when you feel like you're being silenced just for having a question, is that scientific? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like science 
is asking the question and coming to it. If I have a question, you should have an answer. If you don't have an answer, let's look for one. That's mm-hmm. the whole purpose. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to hear your perspective being inside those meetings, just hearing the pressure that those those physicians and those doctors, those PhDs are under, I feel for them. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think that'd be hard. I think that'd be hard to go to sleep at night mm-hmm. being in, in under that stress. And so I'm not like they're evil people. But I also am going to have caution when I place all my eggs in one basket that is obviously might have some other things to consider about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So... um. I think that's interesting. I did not know prior to our conversation that we have access to those FDA hearings. You can just find them online. You can. And listen in. So I think that that's a great tip for people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that that's good. I think also the um, inserts, the actual manufacturer's inserts, which detail the research done, is something that is not readily available for people. Mm-hmm. You have to ask specifically for it, and they're going to try to give you the CDC PDF, and that mm-hmm. is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the little unfoldable thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's another example of something that's free information for you, but you, you have to dig for it, you know? Mm-hmm. So that makes it a little more complicated. Um, any questions from, from you? On this particular topic? Yeah, or, or take us wherever. I've got all kinds of questions. <laughs> so so we're, um, the beautiful thing about this conversation, Julie, is that we've got time to really dig into some like legalities of like health issues and wellness and things that we, we, we deal with on a regular basis. And so a, cha- a question that I had, it's a little more broad. I felt like we went down sure. a specific route. And I think what's going to naturally happen in this conversation mm-hmm. is that we're going to ask a broad question and then we're going to like go down rabbit holes. And, and I want to just promote the rabbit holes because we're going to learn things as we go here. But um, what like challenges would you say or like legal misunderstandings are most common? So when, when you think about people that are, that are operating, just some of the listeners are going to be listening to this right now, what are some of the things that, that, in, that in your experience you've found, man, people just don't get this for some reason? Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of those. And I think uh, things like CSI perpetuate that, like our <laughs> vision of uh, police or, you know, what happens when you're in a courtroom. Uh, however, one that I'm thinking of particular to the medical context is this idea that, you know, I I legally have to take my child to a doctor mm. or I legally must have a healthcare pr- professional present when I give birth. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I think that's a huge one that comes up over and over again because there's just this perception, you know, I have to, I have, I got to do it, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it must be the law, right? Because everybody does it. Mm-hmm. And therefore, because it's common, it must be true. Mm-hmm. And there are so many things, right, that, that are common that are not necessarily true or good. And I would say that would be a big one. Just knowing, no, you have, you have autonomy, right? Over yourself, over your children, over your body and you know we do not as far as like birth wise right we don't have a supreme court decision that says you know you can just have a baby in your house it's implied right Mm. it's implied in our amendments and i think that's another big thing Mm. to cover is you know most people don't know any of their amendments right they don't they know very few so like i'd love to ask the two of you can you remember any amendments like off the top of your head oh um the first one is the right to free speech Right? No. Right to, right to bear arms? No, that's the Second Amendment. Good that's job, an Liz. amendment, though, right? It is. Yeah. It is. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I thought you were saying, is that the first? Um, what's another Free one? Speech, what's another one? Free right speech, to right to bear arms. Practice religion? I can is that a thing? Is pursue that one? life, liberty, and happiness. <laughs> 
So the thing, these are all <laughs> you're going in the right direction. Man, so that's good. <laughs> I, I did not prepare. I should have like Googled amendments before we got on with with Julie. Well, now I'm feeling very un-American, but that's about all I feel like I can muster up. Hey, give us more. No, I think that that's good. Like I'm oh, glad okay. you guys didn't prep because I think you know the things you're thinking of are probably what most Americans <laughs> know, and that's like a great place to start. And we're in good company with our ignorance. <laughs> yeah, and but I would say you know you should probably know about ten. And if you don't know 10, you're getting taken advantage of somewhere. Okay, give us the 10. Yeah, so I I will give you a a few we'll go through because each amendment can be kind of complicated. But let's just start with the easy one. So you started with one, right? Freedom of one is so, so important. This is why it is first, right? Not just freedom of speech, but freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, freedom of of religion, right? Mm -hmm. All these things are encapsulated in the First Amendment, which actually touches so many things and is kind of part of our the reason that we can have privacy in marriage. Mm. So that's actually tied to that. And I'll come back to some of that. Um, the second, right, we're talking about the right to bear arms, mm-hmm. right? And then, of course, we have, there's some we forget, like the third one is like, you don't have to quarter soldiers in your house, but that's also kind of a privacy one. That's one we go back to, mm. you know, you don't have to have the government in your home, mm. this idea. Mm. The fourth one, you probably knew, but you just forgot, right? Search and seizure, right? No unlawful search and seizure. So the police oh, can't yeah, just... Yeah. need a warrant, that kind of thing. You need yeah. a warrant. They can't just come in your yeah, house. They can't yeah, just yeah. go through your stuff. This is actually another one that goes back to privacy in your family mm-hmm. and marriage. So a lot of these are being pieced together to actually give us the rights that we have with homeschooling, the rights that we have in our marriages, the rights that we have with our family. So it's important to know some of these. Um, fifth, is incredibly important, but I bet you guys associate it with something like on the stand being guilty, like the phrase. Oh, uh, you're um, innocent, innocent until proven guilty. guilty. Yeah, not it? quite. Oh, but that's a good one. <laughs> a right to a juror, a jury. A right not to a seven. lawyer. What is it? Not to a lawyer, right? No. No. Someone might say, "I plead the fifth. Right? I plead the fifth. Oh. You don't have to incriminate yourself. No self-incrimination. That's what most people know it Got as. It. But actually. Said that I didn't know what it meant. Yeah, this is good. This, this is, is good, good. <laughs> but it is very super important when it comes to government taking things from you. So the Fifth Amendment is actually our first due process amendment. And do you guys know what due process is? Mm-mm. Okay, this is great. Let's, Tell me. Yeah, everyone should know due process is so important. So due process is this idea that the government cannot take something from you or do something to you mm. until you've had some kind of process. So like an a option to object, an option to um, submit records, an option to uh, go to trial, right? That's due process. So it's so important because, you know, the government can come in. Sometimes things happen like we get new taxes on our, our land, right? Mm-hmm. Or the government is going to take a fifth of your sidewalk, whatever it is, right? Well, the government has to do hold the hearing. They can't just take that from you. And that's what the Fifth Amendment does. It says, no, you know, you government, you can't just take this from us. You have to give us a hearing. You have to let us object. You have to let our, our voices be heard. A big one that this comes up with people is like Social Security when the government says you know you no longer qualified for social security well they have to give you a chance to go through a process to go through a hearing Mm. so the fifth amendment is actually incredibly important but we don't often think about it in terms of government taking because we think about you know court cases and i plead the fifth Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. this idea i plead the fifth so that's the fifth right we um 
talked about seven, which is uh, your right to trial by a jury. This one is super fascinating because this one can be waived. So this is an amendment that can be waived. And many people, all of you, you have both waived your right to a trial by jury several times in your life already. Hmm. So this is something to be aware of. When was that? Um, well, when you sign agreements like with Apple or Google or you go on and you you click that, you know, I agree agreement or even sometimes when you're in the hospital, mm. part of the agreement will say I waive my right to trial by jury. <gasps> I didn't know that. Correct. So I can't sue them for like medical malpractice oh, in, you in front of a jury. You can. You can sue them for medical malpractice, but whether or not you get it to be in front of a jury is another question. <gasps> yes. Ew. And that has to lo- do a lot with arbitration. Mm-hmm. And so our, for those who don't know, arbitration is, you know, the idea that instead of going to the court, you have the right as a private citizen to choose to litigate outside of court with an an arbitrator so like a a judge that you choose you know who's often a lawyer Mm -hmm. and there's lots of different processes there's always like all these rules and the company is usually the one who gets to choose Mm -hmm. what happens with arbitration oh that's convenient yes okay so we covered what like five of them so far so we should definitely go in and learn our amendments I'm we should teach that. our kids our yeah, amendments. That's a good idea. I we, think that that's we homeschool and that's an easy we're failing layup them. right there. Yeah, for sure. Probably I think do that's the amendments. Yeah. Um, Be helpful. So I want to transition a bit into a controversial subject. Yeah. But during COVID, um, this episode was already going to get flagged anyways because we brought up vaccines, so I'm not worried about it. But during COVID, there was so much fear perpetuated online about if you don't comply with this, they're going to come take your kids. If you uh, you have to, it's law to wear a mask. It's a state mandate. Um, you have, you know, X, Y, Z. What, how could we have filtered that information better through a more realistic legal lens? And are any of those mandates different from one another? Yeah, so mandates are different than laws, right? And this was kind of the struggle during the pandemic, right? Because the ultimate law of the land, the supreme law of the land is the Constitution, Mm -hmm. right? That's the supreme law of the land. And we are dealing, the Constitution unites what we, we would call sovereign entities or states, right? Each state is kind of its own little sovereign place, its own, you know, little country. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was like originally the idea. We were just going to all stay our, our own countries and then we would come together and be able to trade with each other and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, now we've grown into a nation. And, and so there's this kind of fight between the state and the federal government for power. Often you hear about this all the, all the the time and so you know state by state they may put out mandates and usually mandates come from some kind of administrative agency mm-hmm. right and that is part of our executive branch of government so we have congress who like makes these laws and then we have the executive branch who goes through and they execute on the laws that's their job and they usually do that through administrative reg- re- agencies who then make regulations who then make mandates Mm. right and so um to tell you the truth like this was a big fight like this was like the big osha case and 
uh, everything that happened during that time because no one really knew like is a mandate really a law right. and it, it's still a question it's still a question mm. that we're fighting out we're litigating now because we had never had this happen before it was completely new we were in this quote-unquote emergency when does an emergency end and i would like to compare this a little bit more to like world war ii so mm. like let's think back to world war ii during that time we have rations we have all these kinds of mandates and and you know when you're in the middle of an emergency the government is going to take more slack than it gives right it always will and that that's that's the way right and the the problem is when power gets taken it's really hard to take power back mm, yeah and that is really the hard part and so during that time just as an example to make that towards what we're going to today because the answer to your question is like I'm not 100% sure because we're still fighting this, right? Yeah. Like we're still dealing with this on the back end. But if we look back, right, to World War II, which is kind of the closest we get to this era as far as like what the government was doing. So there was this little case um, called Wickard v. Philburn. Mm -hmm. And what happened was, you know, Wickard was a, or I think it's Philburn, he was a farmer and he grew wheat and he did sell and distribute his goods, right? He sold in the market, but he also grew wheat for himself, right? Because at that time we're rationing, we're trying to give everything to the troops, we're doing all this stuff. So he kept wheat for his family. Well, um, the Secretary of Agriculture goes around and says, you can't be keeping wheat for yourself. You're not allowed to do that. Hmm. And, and, you know, flagged him and, and find him. And, and eventually the case gets up to the Supreme Court. And it's this question of, you know, can Congress, can the authority of Congress, which then leeches into these administrative agencies, you know, take over, tell this man that he cannot grow wheat to feed his family. Well, unfortunately, the answer in this case was, yeah, we can tell you that you you cannot uh, grow this wheat for your family because it affects the stream of commerce. Yes, I know this is like, so let me give some background on this. Okay, so this is a big, this is a case that gets people fired up for good reason, for yeah. good reason. So the background on the reason that this ruling went the way that it did is that Congress's power comes from article one of the constitution congress's power relies heavily and almost solely on its ability to regulate commerce so everything that congress does and its statutes have to figure out a way to regulate commerce because that this like i said we were not set up as an as one nation we were set up as small sovereigns working together and it was just this idea that we can trade together we'll kind of help each other have each other's backs mm -hmm. right this was the idea and so our constitution is set up with that in mind and with this idea that you know congress is here to help us regulate trade and so in this case the idea was you know is you growing wheat for your family affecting the stream of commerce is it affecting people trading and of course they made this argument the then the then supreme court made the argument well if you do not go buy food then you are affecting the stream of commerce because food is not bought and you're not putting back into the stream of commerce what why would we as americans be forced to operate in capitalism if we don't have to in a specific area that's like saying i can't generate my own electricity is that is that a problem? How do the Amish live? I don't understand. That makes me so mad. Yeah, and that that is like a really great question. And, and these are things that are like coming out and being litigated, right? There was another case after that that, met, um, 
that kind of went along with this case, um, they call it Raish is like the the name that people give it. But um, this woman was growing weed in California, just her own. It was medicinal weed, right? And <laughs> a weed. I thought you said wheat. I was like, again with the weed. No, not weed. <laughs> weed. Okay. Weed. Weed. <laughs> growing marijuana in in um for her own use and she had a doctor's note that she could use this marijuana and, and all that kind of stuff and of course you know she got flagged by the federal government and and they took this up to the supreme court so justice scalia um in this case basically said you know under wickard no you know no you can't and and the reasoning was a slightly different because most people know justice scalia as an incredibly conservative justice right mm-hmm. you would think that he'd be more libertarian in this view but basically, the reason was like, well, it's a drug and we don't like drugs. And so, mm. like, we're going to go along with Wickard because we don't like marijuana. Mm. Like, that was the idea. Right. And, and I do think that our current court probably wouldn't construe, like, wouldn't go as far as to say, like, you can't grow your own stuff. But under the cases we have now, that's that's kind of the deal. Mm. You know, that's what they could say, especially in other emergency instances and that's kind of the the platform that the federal government has taken right that took during the pandemic okay this is making more sense too because like a lot of people were like is it illegal to grow your own food not yet and then they would and i was like what are these people talking about and you're saying if we were to reach another kind of nationwide emergency again because we already gave them that leverage to say okay under wartime we have to all be participating which doesn't make any sense because you would think that they would want people to be as self-sufficient as possible during wartime but instead we can't disrupt the flow of commerce so you're not allowed to grow your own stuff because then you won't go buy it at the market Mm -hmm. so you're saying because that kind of happened under those situations then in the future if there are maybe another reason for an emergency Mm -hmm. that we're going to pull from the previous court case. These things stack on each other. We have to say this is how they ruled in this area. Is the context the same? Maybe not. But this is how we're going to rule again. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. It's, but it, I mean, I guess the logic, the way that you explained it, Julie, makes sense to me because we are, we are trying to prevent, or, or no, no, sorry. The, the, the government is trying to prevent itself from being like extinguished right correct and so if there's a bunch of self-sustaining people that don't need the government then they don't have any power Mm -hmm. they have nothing Mm -hmm. and so that's where the commerce comes in is that's something that feels very like manageable and with the current like amendments i'm guessing is the most protected for the government's power Mm -hmm. and that this is why they're not trying to control like churches right they're trying to control commerce yeah it's a brilliant way to control people i mean i, I want to so how did the amish do it what's the loophole there yeah what's the loophole the religious the religious context is going to be the loophole right in any way and i know you guys talked with max kane a little bit about yeah. pmas and as a way to protect yourself and that's something that i've been doing tons of research on i i actually have my own like website about it to help people with that kind of thing because people are seeing what you're seeing and they're saying i want to be like the amish i want to opt out right i want to get out of this system and how do i do that and most of the time it's through something like a private association and Mm. you know through religion right Mm. that's why number one right amendment number one freedom of religion so important Mm. so important but it's also difficult you know freedom 
we have to make sure that we are defining religion in a broader context, right? Because there are plenty of people who may be agnostic or something like that, but they deserve just as much rights in what they believe as we would like. Totally. Mm -hmm. You know, and and that's the same thing when we talk about like religious exemptions or something like that, right? This context needs to be construed broadly and and usually it is but not always and something else i would like to put into context concerning this case Mm -hmm. there are lots of people you know people like me i hate wickard i hate this case right right? obviously Mm -hmm. i hate it but many people even very libertarian people will say well wickard is important and 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 it's it's good because because of wickard because we can construe congress's power so liberally that actually allowed us to help people during the civil rights movement. And that is the reason that we could make, um, you know, restaurants, bars, movie theaters actually not be segregated anymore mm. because we could say you are affecting the stream of commerce. Ah. And so people will say, you know, well, all those civil rights cases, they might fall if Wickard, if Wickard falls. They might fall. And I don't know that I actually, <laughs> you know, how much stock I really put into that. You know, I don't think we uh, there are as many people as people might think who want segregation back. I I mean, I don't know. But um, that is the reason that people have protected this case. I think that's part of the reason that maybe even Justice Scalia was a little bit um, worried about going back on it because Mm -hmm. this idea that, you know, our civil rights are depending on this, our context for freedom, going back to amendments, the 14th Amendment, which I would say is the other most important amendment that we have, um, might be construed differently. Uh, if we take that back this case so there's a give and a take right mm-hmm. there's a give and a take but law as we talked about judge-made law is the most important mm-hmm. you know law is and the way we construe it is all about how you're interpreting it and i think there is a way to interpret the law to both you know save the civil rights movement and everything we've done and also get rid of this you know atrocious kind of idea that you can't grow your own food or like we have especially in an emergency right we have so much control we could tell you whether or not you can grow your own food which is so frustrating because again it would be like wouldn't that be when you would want the government like if i'm the parent and i'm the government and i'm like i want all my kids to be self-sufficient <laughs> I guess it's like, why wouldn't you in those times be like, yeah, lean on your own resources, people. We got to feed these other people that don't have those resources. Mm-hmm. Instead of saying, I can't da- I can't believe you kept wheat for yourself because now you're not buying it at the market. It's mm-hmm. just wild to me. It's, I mean, the more dependence, though, the more power, the more control, the more ability to, to make things happen. That, I feel like that seems reasonable. To, yeah, it to, feels like job security. Yeah, it's like, you know, if we want to keep our government rolling, we're going to want to have as much people reliant on us as we possibly can mm-hmm. now i don't know that that's actually being said but i have to it has to be understood people yeah. have to be aware of that mm-hmm. right so no that, that that makes so so the pandemic specifically right mm-hmm. so covid's happening it's in full full force and there was a lot of mandates there was no mm-hmm. laws mm-hmm. is that true correct so all these mandates and, and and what we're saying right now is we don't know the the true implications of a mandate at this point correct okay so mandates like um gathering counts mm-hmm. uh, let's go the most common ones right because i don't know if every state had gathering limitations limitations yeah um like mask mandates mm-hmm. um private entities were mandating masks mm-hmm. and were were f- enforcing it 
mm-hmm. in some regard. And mm-hmm. not allowing, how does that not disrupt the stream of commerce? If I didn't want to wear a mask and walk into a store and you don't serve me, mm-hmm. how is that not also, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just interesting though, because it's, it's, it's so fascinating that we don't have data on it to, to I mean, it all makes sense to me. It it's all makes too sense. Fresh. Mm-hmm. It's too fresh to, to know whether or not that was, now what I will ask is, mm-hmm. so, the other one was was mandating vaccination. Mm-hmm. A lot of places did do this. Now, what they didn't do, there wasn't a mandate of you must get this vaccine. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a thing that I'm aware of. There was a mandate of if you want to travel, if you want to, uh, I mean, geez, there was like, if you want to go to this hotel or mm-hmm. if you want to go to this conference or mm-hmm. if you want to go to this concert, these sorts of things, right? Mm-hmm. And they would have like, uh, like your cards you would check to go to these places mm-hmm. where you couldn't go. Anyways. Um, then there's workplaces that were mandating vaccinations mm-hmm. and there were people that would refuse and then they would be fired mm-hmm. now. And again, I, I want to cut through all the, the, the media that I maybe have consumed that, that leads me to believe things. But my understanding is, is that there were some hospitals that laid off or fired, whatever you want to call it, a number of nurses and or doctors that refused to receive the COVID-19 vaccine of any sort of any sort. I'm not sure if it was for boosters too, but probably was. And then there was there was a um, post I'm gonna call it post pandemic because I feel like we're post pandemic, mm-hmm. and the there was like there was like a, there was major lawsuits that happened, and then these hospitals had to rehire and then back pay all of these nurses and doctors. Did, did that actually happen? Um, yeah, it's still in in the process, and it's going to kind of probably go state by state because I I think when you're referring to this also right think about that mandate that came down from OSHA this idea that if you have a hundred or more workers they all must be vaccinated mm. right that was a big thing that came through yeah and then it went to the Supreme Court right and Judge Justice Alito basically was like no we're not going to do this <laughs> under <laughs> the major questions doctrine and. Um, you know, these ideas, like going to that, you know, the the problem was that after that case, you know, after the OSHA case, there was another case that talked about mandates for medical workers. Mm. And the Supreme Court did say, you know, you can in a pan during a pandemic, you can mandate this for medical workers and that that is going to the overall health and mm. health of the community. And because they work in this medical in me- medical environment, right, that, that we're going to let this one slide. However, now, right, we are getting class action suits. We're seeing these things come back and push back against the system and say, hey, but this was experimental. You can't make me do this in an experiment, you know, and some of those have been more successful than others. We're kind of still seeing how that's going. But yeah, there has been success there. And I think it's a good uh, pushback power balance that, you know, you can do this stuff, but later, you got to pay out, you yeah. know, you got to, you got to pay out. So the stance that these folks that are, that are pressing charges for mm-hmm. this particular instance, mm-hmm. the stance they're taking is that it was experimental and that's why. Mo- most of them. Yeah. This idea that it was experimental. We didn't know because most people don't understand, but I'm, I'm sure you guys know this, but you know, the vaccine for most of the time was not actually um, accepted by the FDA, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it had an EUA, which mm-hmm. is not a true authorization, right? It was an emergency use authorization, mm. which is very different. Yep. 
and requires less data, mm-hmm. requires less scrutiny. And so, uh, yeah, the pushback on this was, yeah, this was really quick. It was incredibly experimental. This was under an EUA. And an EUA, so emergency mm-hmm. use uh, authorization. authorization, that is something that allows it to be sold or like produced or like what does that actually do? Correct. So it's like a temporary authorization. It's it's authorization only for emergency, only okay. for emergency use. And, and and so authorizing it to be in production and to be sold to the masses? And administered, yeah. And administered, yes. okay. Yes. Um, okay. And like a proper authorization would then, would it grant it more yes. rights, if you will? Right. So as soon as an emergency use authorization is taken away, the product has to be withdrawn completely from the market. Got it. But if it is authorized, then it's authorized. It's a much um, bigger process to get it back off the market, to recall it, to Got do it. those kinds of things. Is it authorized now? Uh, there is uh, a version authorized, mostly just Pfizer and Moderna. A lot of people don't know this, but J&J, the Johnson & Johnson version of vaccine, was completely withdrawn. The FDA said, no, all of this needs to be recalled. We're wow. not for it. So a lot of people are unaware of that. Um, but yeah, right now, a lot of the boosters are emergency use authorization. Still, so there's still, still, there's still some of this. Um, going around like not full authorization no way and it's crazy to me because headlines literally said the COVID-19 vaccine is FDA approved like literally mm-hmm. and it's like no it's not mm-hmm. and unless you were spending your time and energy like researching that hmm. why wouldn't you trust a headline and I, it's frustrating because I know people who got the vaccine and then later regretted it because they they learned information about it and it's just like where's the transparency mm-hmm, mm-hmm transparency is invisible well (laughs) it's crazy that is crazy and there's a lot happening also you know a lot of people don't know this but to kind of like lift the veil right there's like a federal ad council right Mm -hmm. and the federal ad council gets commissioned and and receives you know millions of sometimes billions of dollars to put out ad campaigns so during this time they were given i think it was two billion dollars i'm not sure about that number but they were given lots of money to appear, you know, to make all these ads to ask people to get this vaccine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they recruited celebrities. They recruited shows. Mm-hmm. Like the reason this could appear on so many shows was because the government was paying for all these ads. Right. The government is putting all this stuff out. And and, you know, a lot of people aren't aware. And and this is, you know, going to be like, oh, where's our tinfoil hat? But this is a legitimate thing. Look it up. You can look it up. But, you know, a long time ago, there was an issue with this, with the government being, you know, in the newsroom and working with them. It was called uh, Project Mockingbird. I don't know if you've ever heard of it Mm -hmm. before. You have. Yeah. Yes. So Project Mockingbird was a real thing. There was a congressional hearing about it in the late, I think, probably 60s or 70s, where they said you have been the CIA has been infiltrating all of these news agencies and feeding them what they should say. And it was kind of like there was this hearing and they were like, oh, my gosh are you doing this and they're like yeah are you still doing this yeah and then it was kind of like "Mm, dropped off the face of the earth what happened we have no idea we don't know and uh this is when there was still kind of scrutiny so we don't know how long you know if the government is still not feeding news agency stuff i don't know i can't say if they are if they not are not but i can for certain say that they are paying thousands of dollars to put out ads and to get people to talk about it not mm-hmm. just news acres but celebrities they pay for blog posts by people who are you know supposedly authentic and who appear really great you know 
Naomi Wolf has done a lot of work on this, um, talking about this kind of stuff. But, you know, for all kinds of products and things like that, the not just the FDA, but the government itself will pay for things to look very genuine, to look like a real blog post to get you to think that, oh, this is safe and effective. This influencer thinks I should take it. So I will. Mm. How is that not just so unethical? I mean, it is. I mean, that's why we're taking up. <laughs> I mean, I would say it's kind of an unethical, but um, that's why we're we're now the Supreme Court is going to take this new Biden case. Um, I think it's Missouri v. Biden is what it's called. I don't quote me on that. I'm not 100 percent sure, mm-hmm. but it's talking about, you know, the government's collusion with these tech companies. Mm-hmm. And that's why this is it's it's a legitimately big deal, right? Mm-hmm. It's a big deal to know whether or not your government is colluding with companies to feed you information, to censor you, um to tell you what you should and should not believe. Mm-hmm. And so uh the Supreme Court's going to talk about that soon. So we'll see what happens. How does fr- okay, if the first amendment is that freedom of the press? Like doesn't that coincide with not colluding like should isn't that what that stands for correct um yes freedom of the press that that's the idea right the government needs to stay out of the press right the press should be able to say what they need to say they need to be able to go where they need to go so that's the big question here um is the biden administration or just like the government in general gonna get flagged you know i'm not pretending this was just under biden right right right. like this started under the trump administration as well Mm -hmm. But, you know, this idea, can government collude? Is that okay? How do how does that affect our First Amendment rights? Right. You know, and I, I think the vast majority of Americans would say, hey, please don't interfere with my information. If if it's from the government, I want to know right. it's from the government. Mm-hmm. I want to know because we want to avoid what we've seen happen to other countries, mm-hmm. right? What we've seen happen to Germany, what we have seen happened in Korea, what we have, what we've seen in Russia, in all kinds of places, right? And it's just interesting because when you talk to people from those countries, often they will say, and I've had this real life conversation from people from Russia, from Ukraine that say, why do you believe, you know, your media? Why do you believe your government? No one in our country believes them. Like mm. we know not to believe them. So it's it's very interesting um, the way we react and, and how we're kind of really just coming up against all these questions. It's also crazy because like how do we define the press these days, right? I mean, that when, when Elon Musk took over Twitter, right? And like they started announcing like, hey, like Twitter was clearly being influenced in some capacity by, uh, I don't remember what it was, right? Some government agency of some form. It was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. But it's like, well, is Twitter allowed to do that? Maybe. Is Twitter the press? I mean, for a lot of people, I think it is. Yeah. Right? Is social media the press? That's a good point. And that's that's where I'm like, you know, maybe there's like loopholes that the government's finding there at this point where, you know, influencing people nowadays is very different than it used to be. Yes. And it used to be the press was like, you know. CNN, right? Mm-hmm. Or like the newspaper, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the day, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, the radio. And now it's, it's. I mean, it, it's so constant. Like exposure to to media in some format is so constant and it's so, I don't know, splintered. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not as condensed as it used to be. I'm just curious, is there a like proper definition today of like what the press is? I mean, I'm sure there is. I'm not I'm not sure what it is. I think a lot of that will be determined by mm. these cases. Yeah. A lot of what counts as press, what counts as, you know, is it media? Is social media media? Is mm. media the press? You know, mm. this mm-hmm. is, these are the questions we're confronting right now. But I think... Um, 
so crazy. Oh, yeah, it is. It's so crazy. The time we live in is so crazy. And who would have thought we would be coming up against these, you know, questions. But I do think a lot of people don't feel like our Constitution is equipped to handle these kinds of questions. And a lot of people feel that, you know, it should be a living document. Other people are originalists. I would say that, you know, I think freedom of the press is pretty cut and clear. That's just my opinion. I'm sure that's not going to be the same opinion as all the members of the Supreme Court, you know, but I do think our founding fathers did lay a good foundation. There's a reason that they said we need to have freedom of the press, freedom of religion, right? They saw what an oppressive government looks like, Mm -hmm. and now we're kind of grappling with Mm -hmm. it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Anyone with a phone could could be the press, right? If saying. it's defined I mean, that way. Are we the press right now? Right, is this podcast? Maybe the press? we are the press. You know. Ah, that's yeah, that's so interesting. Any other uh, COVID-related questions? It, it sounds like a lot of it is still being worked out, which is also yeah. wild. I and mean, it, for me, I just a, a big a big part of it. It's hard to ask more questions when it's when when the answer is man, so much is being determined today, yeah. right? And so I think I think my my learning, my, what my takeaway from Julie is, is that man, watch this. And the reason why I'm watching, and the reason why I want to be be aware of what decisions are made, is so that I know how to respond and act appropriately when and if something like this happens again. Mm-hmm. I was I was meeting with a guy. So, so funny that you were in research. It, it sounds like we were in very different research, but there's also some crossovers, if I'm honest. And we, we were talking and, and he he is out of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, man, I'll be in Ohio for a meeting and the climate and just the conversations are completely different than when I'm in New Jersey. Hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, New Jersey, we're talking about how the pandemic's coming back. And I was like, what? What? And he was like, yeah, we're talking about how like, and, 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 and he brings up on his phone and I didn't even know this. But in the last like month, there was, and this is now longer than that ago. So we were eating outside and it's cold now. So, but the, 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 there was a college that recently instituted another mask mandate. There's vaccine mandates coming back in, in certain areas. Am I, is this all like fake? Uh, or is this, can you confirm that this is happening? Oh yeah, it's definitely happening. And, and like we talked about, right? Like once power is given, it's very difficult to claw the power back. And I think, you know, perpetually until we get some of these answers, there will be people continuing to mandate these things, right? There are going to be universities that are going to say, well, we've learned our lesson now, better safe than sorry. We're going to mandate this for everybody, right? We're going to do this. We're going to mask up every single winter, which I think is what a lot of people were worried about in the first place, right? When these mandates first came down. And so that's going to be continuing to be fought out. Can you make me do this? I mean, the answer is like, uh, maybe, probably, mm-hmm. you know, c- because you're choosing to go to our school, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like a private school that's a little more clear cut than like a state school or a federally funded school. So that's kind of, you know, we, we're entering also this question centers around, you know, the sectors, the private sector and the public sector and what can be done in the pri- in private, which kind of goes back to that idea of the PMAs, right? We want to have a private association. We are associating privately versus being in the public. And the rules are just a little bit different when you're there. And I think um, like I have a very uh, talented and brilliant professor and 
you know, his he he talks about this often and he says, you know, I'm a purist. Private is private. And I would generally say that as well, right? Like private is private. Mm. But it it is also difficult when you have companies being heavily influenced by the government, when the government is telling a company what to do, well, then aren't you acting as the government? And we do have case law on this. Mm. We do have stuff that speaks to this that, yeah, like when you're acting as the government, you're going to be treated like the government. For example, there was one case where an entire town had been bought by a corporation. Mm. So they bought like the Disney? town. Oh, that's a good that's a good one. But it Celebration wasn't. Disney is a yeah. real thing. Yeah. This was in Alabama, okay. actually. And um, the a woman had come and she was a Jehovah's Witness and she was standing on the sidewalk and she was preaching, right? Like handing out mm. pam- pamphlets and things like that. And, you know, the sheriff said, well, you have to leave because this is private property, right? Because the uh, well. business owns the town. Therefore, you know, they don't want you here. You can't be here. Mm. You know, what's private? What's public? And uh, the Supreme Court ruled in that case, right, when you are acting as a government. So you own this entire town. Sorry. Then you become this public entity. You're acting as a government for these Mm -hmm. people. And therefore, you have to allow this woman to speak her religion. Basically, like freedom of religion trumps your ability to act as private in a corporation, Mm -hmm. which I would say is the same kind of issue we're dealing with all of these things is, you know, Facebook is a private company, you know, Meta, whatever it's called, you know, X is a private company. But if the government is telling you what to do, are you really a private company anymore? Mm -hmm. Are you a private entity or are you acting as the government? And I think in a lot of these cases, the answer would be yes, right? If you are, we have emails showing that, you know, they would email in, the FBI emails in and says, take down this post, take down these people, block these people. I mean, that is that not government it's, control? It is, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it happened to people I know personally. Like, mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, so-and-so. And I, I have a friend who it happened to, and she had like 90,000 followers, and her thing got deleted three times. Multiple times, yeah. And um, it, it's just fascinating because she was talking about almost like a marginal thing, and, and, and she got dinged, and it was like, going against community guidelines you're right those aren't the community guidelines of just meta or facebook the or instagram that was acting under what the government was telling them Mm -hmm. to say so that's an interesting thought exercise right Mm -hmm. is like who's actually pulling the strings on here is it actually within the private company or is it being influenced top down i think that's not something i had thought of before so that's cool and I think like when it comes to something like this, usually, right, if it's just Meta acting alone and it has its own business agenda or Google, which has been kind of open about its agenda as well, or if, if they have their own agenda and they're completely private acting on their own, then I think that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, they are private. They can do what they want you to do. And we feel the same way about like our own businesses, our own homes. We can do what we like. You know, if someone's in my home and they're saying things I don't like, I have the right to tell them, you know, leave, you're trespassing totally. in my house. But yeah, the difference comes when who is telling them what to when when the FBI is specifically saying pull this specific post pull these posts ha, posts have this kind of content don't have this kind of content you are not allowed to do this well then it's not really is it private you know is it really meta doing that right. or is it the government doing that and if it, if so if it's the government then i think you know the first amendment really needs to apply in mm. that case and you mentioned we have actual documented emails from the CIA 
to Facebook Meta, these organizations, telling them, instructing them this way. Yeah, from the FBI. Yes, correct. That is insane. Mm-hmm. Why is that not a headline? It was. Oh, did I miss it? I you don't did. read the news. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, There's definitely a headline. Well, there's more. There's there's more headlines coming for you because more keeps coming. Okay, you know, beautiful. Elon and people keep publishing more yeah. of this stuff, yeah. stuff that they find. Yeah. Oh, it's deep. Um, okay. Do you have another question? Because I was going to segue into homeschooling. But Segway. Okay. So um, one of the questions I have is more about a posture about homeschooling and maybe less of the legalities. But... Um, I know that in Ohio recently the laws changed. It used to be that we had to like get a an assessment by a licensed teacher at the end of the year or take a state test and they've dropped that. And then also it's they said the the language has changed where it's not us basically asking for permission, which I guess it never was, to homeschool. It's just notifying your public school district that you you will be opting out of compulsory school. I want to get into before I even ask homeschool question what even is compulsory school? Like, when did the United States say that every child is mandated, to use that word again, to go through an education system? If you think about it, it's kind of wild. So do you know some of the history of that? Like, why why is that even a thing? Yeah, so for a while, there weren't public schools, right? Like, it was a, it was mostly everyone was private, and then there was this idea that, you know, we have this right to education, um, and so we need to flood these uh, different places with money, and then they're going to have uh, public schools, right? This idea that we're, we're suffering because our people don't have enough education, and this is kind of coming through the late 1800s, right? We're coming up on this. Um, and the, the seminal case on this is this idea, um, it's called the Pierce sisters case, I think is what it's called, but Mm -hmm. they, this, um, the state had passed a statute that said, you know, it's compulsory that all children must go to school. All of them have to go to school. And, um, of course there was a plaintiff who was like, no, I don't want my kids to go to school. You know, I, I don't need them to do that. And um, this is in the 1920s, so this is 1925 when this happens. Hmm. And um, the Supreme Court, you know, basically said under, you know, all of these amendments, like I was talking about the first and and the third and the fifth and the ninth is another one that comes up, which is our unenumerated rights. You know, you can't make kids go to school. Parents have a right to educate their children and they can do what they like. And so, you know, this law is completely unconstitutional. And so that was kind of the the deal on that one. So, yes, it's never been compulsory. They can't make you go to school. You have a right uh, right now under current law, under what the Supreme Court says, which interprets the laws. You have a right to homeschool your children. You are notifying the state. The state can't make you uh, take your kids to school. I wish I brought the letter down here because they literally use the term compulsory. They're like, you are exempt from compulsory education. And I always like was bothered by that. I was mm-hmm. like, compulsory. These are my kids. Like, mm-hmm. what do you, you think you know how to handle them better than me? So you're saying that's not even held up in the Supreme Court. No, no, they can't make you. And I think they're using the word compulsory as kind of this, this word to say like, yeah, if you go in this system, this is how the system's going to go. You know, if you if your kids opt in, then they're going to go from first grade to second grade all the way up through, right? They're going to have this kind of compulsory education, you know, and obviously you can pull them out at any point. But, you know, they throw around this word because 
it's almost like when you go into a hospital or you go into a place, they can say, this is our policy, mm. right? Our policy is that you do this, right? It's a policy, but that doesn't mean that, you know, it's the law. It's mm-hmm. not the law. It's just a policy. Mm-hmm. And that that's the way that this game is often played. And, and that's what makes people feel so insecure is mm-hmm. because they use these words like mandated, compulsory. Yes. But it's it's truly not, right? You have a right to homeschool your kids. Now, I will say... The states, you know, when we talk going back to this idea of federal and state and these two sovereigns pushing and pulling against each other, um, there are some things that are specifically for the states. So the 10th Amendment is about anything that is not specifically for the federal government goes to the states. Mm-hmm. So specifically, the, the states have something called police powers, and that gives them power powers to do a little bit more than what we would say like a federal government should or could be able to do and so under those police powers education falls under those police powers oh and so that's why they can say things like that but um the federal government right which is the higher of the two has said you know no you can't make kids go to to these schools that we provide right um but the state can have a lot of influence on education and how difficult it is for you homeschooling and things Mm -hmm. like that what's the hardest state to homeschool in i'm not sure what the hardest state. i would probably guess something like new york Uh um would be the most difficult i was gonna say new york or california i know i've had questions about people in california being able to homeschool i don't even know why that's a question though no uh, well a big thing is kind of coming up because you know and again this kind of goes back to vaccines right because california has been passing all these laws saying your kid you know no more medical it's not medical no more religious exemptions in california right yeah no no more of this no more of that we're gonna police your your doctors we're gonna do this we're gonna do that and because of that you know they've started saying well well we are also going to look into homeschoolers and we're going to look into your vaccine status Mm. that's kind of like up in the you know nebulous air right now um and so that's why people are getting afraid to homeschool and they're getting this impression like i can't homeschool or i can't get an exemption or how can i you know do x y and z so the state in California has been more and more, you know, and we, we, we all know this, right? Like this, the state has been more uh, powerful and, and trying yeah. to overcome the people's rights a little bit more. So uh, every, every child in California has to follow the CDC regulated schedule right now? Um, well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they, they have to do that. For sure, if they are going to go to school, unless they have a medical exemption. Ah, which is very hard to get. Which is very difficult to get. So you can no longer have a philo- philosophical or religious, which in Ohio we have all three still, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. That's... So public school, California. That matters. No more mm-hmm. religious ex- exemption for no more. anything. To, okay for yeah yeah. as far as vaccine goes vaccines go particularly um other religious things you know are also getting kind of clamped down on there Mm -hmm. um i'm originally from california so i i keep up a little bit on that but i'm not i'm not in that world as much anymore it just gets all the attention that's where i i get the most questions from it's like i feel like i have the least amount of say you know Mm -hmm. from people in, in california um or canada we get a lot of those or canada as a whole other situation they recently uh banned um the purchase of a firearm i can't remember if it was just a handgun 
mm-hmm. or something, but uh, Trudeau, mm-hmm. a president, whatever, mm-hmm. prime minister, prime minister, mm-hmm. banned the purchase mm-hmm. of a handgun, mm-hmm. and I was like, what? Mm-hmm. I, I know that that might seem weird, but like mm-hmm. that's, I don't know, that that seems wild. Well, in Canada too, right? This is really going to disproportionately affect people who live in more rural areas. Totally. And actually do have to deal with like polar bears, right? right? That which seems ridiculous, but it's a real thing. Like they have to deal with moose trampling grizzly through grizzly bears, you know, brown bears. Does Canada have polar bears? They do. No kidding. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just I that's insane. My I texted a friend about it and she was like, "Yeah, I feel like I'm living in China." And I was well, just, just like we were just on with Dan. Um, he's an elk hunter. Yeah. And he was talking about how he recently, like weeks ago, took an elk out in the mountains and had like a shot bear. an elk. Not like mm-hmm. he took it in the mountains. Just Sorry. people aren't going to know that clarifying. language. <laughs> <laughs> and how this this elk is laying down as he's, he's he's breaking it down to backpack it out. And he was he was he literally said said to us on on the episode he's like, and I just I don't know why, but I forgot to bring on this particular hunt my bear spray and or handgun. Mm. and he's like and that was the time where a bear came up and i'm sitting there he's like i'm covered in blood and this bear's coming up and I, it was just like in that moment it was like yeah uh, he's like thankfully it was a brown bear mm-hmm. he's like if it was a grizzly bear he's like i probably what did he say like he's like i would have run he didn't forget it it was that it was with his bow and oh. this this particular elk was sliding down a so cliff he was, he was moving and he was just away from it all. he was a, he was like 120 yards away from it Gosh. and can you imagine like you don't get to purchase a handgun and yet the same person's going out in the wilderness and hunting and then like you need it for self-defense against will it's just wild it's just there's so many there's so many not even just like home defense but also like safety (laughs) i mean canada is crazy like (laughs) yeah that's that's, yeah that's insane okay so back to homeschooling the idea of compulsory education is kind of a fluffy cloud in the sky although that's what my school district uses Mm -hmm. that's a language they Mm -hmm. use so um here's here's another thing i learned recently i was visiting a family and they are amish and she said i'm so excited for my oldest to come home like she she she's done with school after the eighth grade Mm -hmm. and i was like oh i didn't know that like that was even a thing i didn't realize like they stopped formal education at eighth grade um does that fall on like I just think it's such an interesting juxtaposition between like me submitting my paperwork every year to the school district and then folks being like yeah after eighth grade we're done Mm -hmm. how does that settle out Mm -hmm. well you don't know she may be doing paperwork right she may be notifying them but uh likely she's just used her religious exemption right to opt out of mm-hmm. those kinds of, of things. The same way, you know, we might be able to say, you know, because of my religious context, we're not going to school this way. We're not going to do this. Other states, it, it goes state by state, though, you know, um, because high school is a little um, more tricky. You know, you, you've heard that there are high school dropouts, right? Mm-hmm. Like people choose. That's true. You know, when kids get older, you don't, it, have, to go. You don't have to go, right? They choose to drop out. And some kids just choose to do that. And I mean, there is obviously this kind of big movement, especially with like Common Core and things like that, to try to scoop up and find, you know, no no high school dropouts, right? No, Which then, of course, affects homeschooling, obviously. And like the thought behind it is good, right? That hopefully the intention is good. We want these people to get educated at least to a certain level. We want to help mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, 
but it it will end up affecting homeschool in that way of like do you still have to keep sending this paper and for you you know you may not i it, it depends state to state mm. because after eighth grade you know they kind of stop paying attention to that and that's most states after eighth grade oh yeah that's interesting that does make sense it's almost mm. like up to eighth grade it's it's the main main bread and butter Mm -hmm. um another question is like are there specific can a state mandate what you teach in your home like are there specific because i know like in ohio it says you need to do x amount of hours of these core subjects but it's Mm -hmm. like that's left up for interpretation like Mm -hmm. i could say that cooking in the kitchen is science class for the day Mm -hmm. so like what level of actual control does the government have in terms of your homeschool curriculum and like education yeah, they're going to have a little bit more say because they do have those police powers. Like they might be able to mm. say you do have, you know, some some form of this education is required or submit this to us. Uh, I don't think that that has been completely challenged. I'm sure someone out there could probably show me, but I, I'm not sure. But I know there's obviously most likely a line where like, no, you can't make this just school at my house and like right. you can't make this. I, I don't have to teach everything, but there's probably some core things that I would think the Supreme Court would let slide with mm-hmm. that, right? Um, and most states will, will say is like, yeah, this is for our common good. So there are different when this is kind of going deep, but hopefully it's helpful. So when the Supreme Court reviews something that has to do with your rights and particularly your due process and, and something like this also falls under due process. So again, 14th Amendment, Fifth Amendment, very important. And um, they they have to, there's certain, when judges get things, there are certain re- ways they have to review it. And there's certain scrutiny they have to give it. And so like, in law school, they'll ask you, you know, okay, so what kind of review would this case be, right? How are we going to look at this case? For the Supreme Court, when it comes to certain things like our, our equal protection and rights, there's different levels of scrutiny they have to give it. Mm-hmm. I would probably think that something like your education is going to fall under the lowest uh, level of scrutiny, and that's just a legitimate basis scrutiny. So, like, the state just has to have a legitimate basis, mm-hmm. you know, and it has to be logically in- implemented for it to pass that kind of scrutiny. Mm. So that's kind of the problem that we deal with with stuff like this and why challenges like that often don't get that far. Uh, but, you know, I would say there's probably a point where, you know, the Supreme Court, you could push back and say, like, my rights are to do this and this and this, you know, I to school my children the way that I want to. You're taking away that right mm. by telling me everything that I have to teach my children. Yeah. But I think the way that you framed it is great in that, yeah, like they may say you need to have X amount of hours of science, but you get to decide what does science look like for you because some kids are not interested in chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. Like some kids and they won't need yeah. it, right? And so th- cooking in the kitchen really can be science, right? And that is its own chemistry. That is its own learning. So I think just that is the way to kind of like take that one. Mm. What advice would you give to parents who – because when we were <clears throat> trying to record earlier, we had this conversation about like, don't be suspicious. Don't be sketchy, right? As a mm-hmm. parent, if you're fearful of a law infringing on your rights, there's ways to go about it that um, protect you just by you being open and honest. Mm-hmm. So like, say you are, like I think about with unschoolers all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Unschoolers, they don't follow curriculum, but they are using like... Um, interest-led learning so Mm -hmm. they're active in their child's 
education, it just looks different. And it's hard for people to have a framework for that unless they've kind of seen it or been around it. And so what would you recommend for um, crunchy people, crunchy mm. parents mm-hmm. to to live above reproach and to, to, to be able to say, hey, I have integrity in my schooling and my medical care of my children and my parenting, um, but it doesn't mean that it fits in with the system. And so mm-hmm. how can I protect myself if I were to be questioned? Like, mm-hmm. should we be documenting certain things? Should we keep a paper trail? What does that look like? You know, any advice? Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing I'm going to say, this wouldn't be a legal episode unless I said this is not legal advice. Oh, true, true, true. Right? This is not legal advice to anybody. <laughs> um, but uh, for me, just as a person, mm-hmm. you know, if if I, you know, I define myself as like a crunchy lady, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I homeschool my kids. I do something I have home births I, I do this stuff too and the way that I personally live my life right is to not you don't need to be afraid of the of the system all the time and people are afraid yes we're afraid of our nosy neighbors who are going to be the ones who call CPS but my advice is even if CPS comes to your door right and I I have had CPS come to my door before that mm-hmm. has happened to me really? I've had this experience because and it was for a totally different reason I was watching you know a bunch of kids and my niece happened to you know run away and run over the fence and the people saw her walking in the street we while we were looking for her and then called the cops and then CPS mm. came to talk Goodness to us gracious. about yeah which is ridiculous right like it's absolutely itchy fing- trigger finger you know what I'm saying yes like yes I'm ready to call the cops now yes exactly <laughs> oh, she's got a lot you of know. kids in her yard I got a call I know. Yeah. And like you may have nosy neighbors. That Mm -hmm. might happen. Right. But just holding your ground in nothing that I am doing is wrong. And even if CPS comes to my door, they don't have any rights. You know, they don't have any rights. Let's go back to and and I I will say I personally would never let anyone into my house without a warrant. I don't Mm. care who they are. Mm -hmm. I don't care who they are. And, you know, you could even say something like, you know, a professor told me once I should never let someone in my door you know and mm-hmm. and just do it in a nice way right not a defensive way but just saying like you know this is what i've heard or my experience has mm-hmm. been and and um i not to be mean but you know you don't have a warrant so you can't come to my house mm-hmm. and um so that's one and like just stand your ground and just knowing that i i hear this all the time with like should I have paperwork? Should I not have paperwork? What if I don't have paperwork, right? And there's two sets of thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. The The usual thought people give is like, you need a paper trail. You got to find a good doctor and you have to have a paper trail. Uh, another way to look at this is that, you know, what does not happen, What what is not there can't hurt you. Mm-hmm. So this idea that, you know, if you did actually get into court, Maybe they would use records against you to say, well, you had all these appointments and then you stopped m- started missing and mm. la di da. But if there were never any appointments, well, obviously you've lived this lifestyle that you are congruent, right, in your lifestyle, and this is the way it is. I'm not saying that either is better. I'm not saying that neither either is not defensible. Obviously, it is defensible. Uh, but just thinking that thought through for people and not not just thinking like, well, I I have to. Um, you can record special things. Like if some emergency came up, I might record what I did for it. I might record things that that happened, you know, maybe if I, I felt like it was important. Um, if I was going to a doctor's o- office, I would definitely 
record, like I would email my email yourself because this can go on record, email yourself what conversation you have with the doctor. What did the doctor say? What was the doctor's demeanor? Leave yourself a voice message, call yourself, you know, do something like that where you're on record right after saying like, this is how I felt that I felt like they were hostile towards me. I felt like they weren't. Well, I'm giving my kid care. Look, I've given my kid care. Mm -hmm. Anytime you have something that a hostile um, confrontation you write it down, write down what you did right, what they were wrong, all of that. That that is something that personally I would I would do for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. I would also get to know my neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, that's incredibly important is get to know your neighbors, get to know who lives in front of you, behind you, um, pay attention to lawn signs on their lawn, you know, what they do or don't believe, and just be a good neighbor, right? Like, just be nice and people will be nice to you. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, they're not going to get you in trouble. Some people are going to just be you know rude like some people are just gonna be like oh you're you're bad no matter what Mm -hmm. you do but the vast majority of the time if you get to know your neighbor that's not gonna be a problem instead they're probably gonna call you and say hey i saw your kid playing in the yard what's going on today do you need help um another thing that nobody does but um should be done is do you know your local like hospitals around you have ever have you ever thought to call them ask what their policies are Mm -hmm. ask about what the doctors are like there Mm -hmm. um because that's going to give you a big view of like okay if i have an emergency this is the hospital i should go to right or this is the urgent care i should go to um this is what i'm going to choose because i know this area better and and you know you can even go in and ask for a tour you can i mean they might not be like they might be like what you want a tour of our emergency room like what is this but you know it, getting to know them will be helpful and they might have documents for you policy you know all that kind of stuff so the first thing is just like uh, that I do for myself is just get to know your surroundings get to know your neighbors get to know your neighborhood and um, the second thing is you know just stand up in your right like just be honest you know um if someone comes to you and they say you know do you homeschool your kids yeah i homeschool my kids well your kids were outside playing during this time yeah they were because it was their recess you know Mm -hmm. they they were doing that because we were doing science you know it's a great way for kids to learn and even if you get cps called on you right even if this happens to you it is I mean, yes, bad things do happen. I know someone's going to be like, but I heard the story about this couple and they got their kid taken away. And like, yeah, does that stuff happen? Um, Yes, it does happen. Right. But there are ways you can fight back against that. Mm -hmm. Um, A big thing. Most of the time, though, when you deal with CPS, if you're honest, if you're open, if you're collegial, they're going to leave you alone. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be a big deal. Um, that, you know, you get to know them. If something happens again, they'll come talk to you. They'll be collegial, you know, and you can avoid these kinds of issues, right? But let's say you have the worst situation. Let's say they do and they come and then they overreact and they take your kids and something happens. Well, what I would do in that situation is like first make a big stink about it, a huge stink, right? So big that you should be calling your local officials about it. So you need to call your representatives. You need to call your governor about it. You need to say, hey, this is illegal. You are infringing on my rights, right? The second thing is like lawyer up, lawyer up, get somebody who's on your team, mm-hmm. get somebody who's going to help you call around. You know, people are really scared. They're scared to do lawsuits. I understand it is expensive. It is difficult. There are advocacy groups that can help you. If you do not have means, there are um, 
legal services that you can get for free. There are legal services that go on sliding scale. Most lawyers um, would actually, you know, do a free consultation with you, right? At least you could get that. Mm-hmm. Um, ask, you know, you, most people have um, universities around them. Call the law professors. Why not? That's call, a great point. Call the law professors. Why Why not ask them? And guess what? Law professors are actually really willing to talk to people. Mm. They, will, they want people to talk to people. I find this about professionals all the time. Like when I work with PhDs, like when I do heavy research and I'm like, ah, I don't know the physics behind this, right? What do I do? Do I just like fumble? No, I don't just fumble. I go to like, I find some university. I find some physicist, right? And I say, walk me through this. Super cool. Right? Walk yeah. me through it. And they will. They're like, oh my gosh you're taking an interest in this work wow (laughs) this is like let's go this is my chance yes yes (laughs) yes like that is that's like so true you know they want and most people in the legal profession if you can't tell like to talk so like they're gonna want to talk to you yeah so you know make a big stink get people on your side um stand up for your rights know that you've done nothing wrong and just be honest but the biggest thing is like don't get into the situation by the fir- in the first place by getting to actually know the people around you. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I-, I love this whole conversation. And we went through some heavy stuff. And I just wanted to kind of even add to what you're saying because what I'm learning, and it's been such a valuable conversation for me already. And we kind of touched on this a little bit, maybe maybe virtually or, or since you've been here. I can't remember at this point. But there are so many things out there. And I love how you said this is not legal advice. Well, oftentimes we're not giving like health advice either, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And we're touching on a lot of things today and a lot of hot things as well. And what, what I would say is, is that there are so many tools and, and things for us to utilize for ourselves the way that we feel appropriate, whether it's food related whether it's schooling related, whether it's healthcare related, whether it's, you know, finding an attorney because so-and-so doesn't like the fact that your kids don't wear shirts a lot of the time. I don't know, whatever it is, <laughs> but be having the, the purpose of this, this podcast, particularly not in just this episode, but in all episodes is to provide education for people to empower people to make decisions for themselves, whether it's around nutrition, whether it's around food, whether it's around healthcare, whether it's around educate, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And man, that's what we want. We want to create people that feel more confident in making decisions for themselves at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said because it's so simple, but it's so true. Some of the best protection you can have is having community around you mm-hmm. for resources from like a, Hey, I have this issue. I'm going to call my neighbor, right? It could be, I don't have butter today. <laughs> it could be, um, I, I have a kid that's, that has run out of the house and you know what? Instead of them calling CPS, I need help finding my kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. like 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 let's just boil it down to the, the very to the salt there, and just say having people that are looking out for you is is a, is a huge, huge factor. So mm-hmm. the community is huge, massive. Totally. My uh, one specific question was going to be in regard to. Um, paper you sign if you go to a pediatrician's office mm-hmm. what is that paper that you're signing exactly if you say hey i don't want to go by the cdc mandated cdc whatever 
vaccine schedule Mm -hmm. they hand you a paper to sign Mm -hmm. what is that well usually it's like a waiver right so you're like i'm 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 saying that i know that i might be putting my child in danger if i do not go by the schedule i know i'm i am choosing not to you know give my kid these shots and i will not sue if my kid gets one of these diseases it's basically something like that right and so what i you know i would never sign a paper like that Mm -hmm. don't do it Mm -hmm. like i i would never sign a paper like that this goes for also informed consent yes again like i said a lot of your informed consent when you're in the emergency room when you're in these places right it's going to say i'm waiving my right to a trial by jury um or you know i'm agreeing to arbitration and many of those especially in emergency care because under mtala which is a big federal statute you know they have to treat you in an emergency regardless of whether you sign the paper oh so you don't have to sign those papers no in an emergency situation okay right an emergency situation and it really is a clear emergency they have to treat you regardless of your insurance regardless of whether or not you sign that paper so think long and hard about whether or not you want to sign that paper like anything you know actually read it yeah and the thing that people don't know that they should do is you read it you cross it out and you initial what you cross out and you can write a new language this is a contract right this falls under our right to contract which is actually huge in the united states we honor contracts contracts are a big part of who we Mm -hmm. are as a nation right and so when they're handing this to you it's basically it's not just informed consent it's a contract Mm -hmm. and so you are allowed to negotiate just like anything else you are allowed to cross that out and write something else in will they always agree to what you write in no will they will they take you if you cross some things out maybe they won't maybe you'll have to get a new doctor but many you know are like startled by this and then they're like oh okay yeah sure or like they just take the paper Mm -hmm. and once they've taken the paper they've uh, accepted you know, mm. the offer they've accepted. So they they have to abide by that, Somebody's right? Somebody's getting fired, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. some, some poor nurse, their first day of the job. Yeah. And so one of, one of uh, Julie's pupils is in there like crossing everything out, right? Like, <laughs> and this poor nurse is like, um, okay, takes it back. Oh my gosh, that's, that's, that's good stuff. I well, you know, they might come back to you and say like, hey, you did this. And like, I don't think we should do that. You know, let's yeah. let's go through. But probably for that appointment, they're going to have to abide by that regard, regardless of what happened but they can come back with a new offer totally. right that's that's the whole deal here with contracts but just remember that it's a contract cross it out initial it say this is what i don't want initial it yeah it is another tool that right is is a good thing right mm-hmm. you can use doctors and hospitals and you can use things that are that are made for you and if you don't want it to be one way or another that is your choice i love mm-hmm. that being able to, to change the contract i never thought of that never never thought of that most people don't. Yeah. I, I've seen online, like, people will say, like, if you cross this out and then initial and then still sign, like, it's it's not as bad or whatever. But I just, I had always heard about that. And so I wanted to know exactly what they were saying. And it does make sense because there is language in there that says, I, I understand I'm, like, putting my child at risk or whatever. The frustrating piece to that is, like, I've asked pediatricians. I've brought in books that I've read. I said, have you ever read this? No, never. When did you go to medical school? In the early 80s. Okay. Have you read any literature since then? No. Um, what is the CDC schedule based off of? Uh, the <clears throat> people that the salespeople that come in the office and tell us which vaccines to give you. Mm-hmm. I've had that conversation before, and so I'm like, okay, what 
what are you signing where if my kid gets injured from a pharmaceutical now it's on you right Mm -hmm. that doesn't exist it doesn't Mm -hmm. exist both ways Mm -hmm. maybe you can talk about that how vaccine reconciliation doesn't even happen right in the public court system with a jury no it doesn't um it goes under what's called the vicp and um actually in law school like my seminal paper is actually all about the vicp so um in in 1986 i mean most some people will know this Mm -hmm. right um we passed a law right we signed in ronald reagan signed into law um this vaccine injury compensation compensation act and this act took away liability from the manufacturers of vaccinations and so in lieu of that because we're taking away liability from manufacturers now liability is on the government and so the government has created a special little court and it does not have a judge uh it has what's called a special master yes they can do that and that that does happen not with just with this but with other things so yes there's a special master and that they're someone from the um, Department of Justice, so the DOJ. And then when you sue, you have to sue Health and Human Services. So you sue the Health Secretary of the United States. And so a lawyer from HHS will come in and, you know, fight against your lawyer and, you know, back and forth. And you have to give all the documentation and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, another lawyer, uh, this special master, who's also part of the government, gets to decide whether or not you get compensation. And the compensation is incredibly narrowly tailored, right? There's a a specific vaccine injury list, what vaccines are covered, what vaccines are not covered. So if you got, and that was a big question with COVID, right? If you got injured by the COVID vaccine, where are you going to go? Because there is actually another court exactly like this for emergency measures. Mm. And they have not. Um, really paid out anything right now. Nothing? It's a mess. It's they haven't a, paid out anything? It's a huge, yeah, it's a huge mess right now. And no one knows how this court works. Even going back to like ASIP meetings, this last ASIP meeting, you know, they just were talking about that. They were like, uh, we don't know how this court works. We don't know what what is happening and where where this is going. And um, because a, a, lawyer, a lawyer even came in and said, hey, I need to know, you know, for the, the COVID vaccine vaccine you know how is this gonna work and and they were like oh um we don't know we have no idea so this is all you know there's a big trust fund and the trust fund comes from a tax on each vaccine so they take a little money a tax on each vaccine they take all that money they put it in a trust fund and then they're supposed to use that trust fund to pay out these claims right that's what they're supposed to do and so um but that trust fund very little of it gets used and that trust fund gets absorbed back into agencies so they get to reuse this money for the purposes they would like to and in the 90s um especially when we first started becoming a little more suspicious of vaccinations stuff started come out there were some big congressional hearings and you can find these hearings um where they were asking, you know, there's so much money in the trust fund. You know, what are you doing? Why why aren't you paying out claims? And what are you doing with this trust fund? And, you know, some suspicion. It was always like, well, we need this money and like we're going to we're, we're using it and we, we are paying out the claims as we see fit because that's our right mm. to do that. And so um, the the blocks are really, um, you know, the way that lots of people like to say it is like, oh, it's like workers compensation and it's so easy and and people get paid out and it's really just and it's really not like that. 
if you ask anyone who goes through it, it is so hard. Mm. It is so hard to prove because the the standard of evidence is much higher than it would be in a regular courtroom. Mm -hmm. So like in a regular courtroom, it's like a preponderance of the evidence standard, which is like 50%, right? 51%. You just have to show 51%. It's probably the vaccine's fault and then you get money, right? But here it's more, it's clear and convincing evidence. So it's more like 70 to 80%. And usually the special master is really holding it up to this like 90% um, kind of standard. And you can see that by just reading these cases over and over again and just the the injuries that can get in, can't get in. And um, they stripped it, you know, in the early 2000s, they stripped away what could count as a vaccine injury. They, you know, took stuff away, took stuff out of there for no reason. Like no real mm. reason was given for why they're doing this. They just did it. Mm. And so a lot of people are suffering because of that. And they mm -hmm. don't know, you know, if they're injured, most of the time, you don't know that you're injured by a vaccine until years later, years later. I mean, in the case of the COVID vaccine, maybe if you have myocarditis, you might know. Mm -hmm. But the statute of limitations is very um, extreme in that it's only three years, wow. right? It's mm -hmm. very short. You have three years to figure it out and you have to file within those three years. Wow. So. It's so sticky because there's this broad assumption that the people watching out for for the safety and efficacy are doing their due diligence. And from what you've shared about being in the room of these FDA kind of like hearings, we that's yeah, fuzzy, yeah. right? And then you you're like, "Okay, well, at least they're still liable." No, okay. Well, at least I don't have to do it. And it's like, mm, there's enough social pressure. Mm -hmm. we, we haven't even talked mm -hmm. about that. Like, that's not even mm -hmm. a legal issue. But there's enough social pressure for you to make a decision without you having all the information. Mm -hmm. And that goes kind of back to, again, those scientists having to make they're, – they're under social pressure, too, to mm -hmm. pass these things through. Mm -hmm. So I don't – I'm glad you said that earlier, Joey, about uh, – what this podcast is and what it isn't. I don't ever want this to be like fear mongering, be scared. Mm -hmm. I want people to be enlightened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want them to hear. 100%. Make your own decisions. I want people walking away from this being like, I need to go back and listen to it at like half percent speed <laughs> to hear what Julie said again, just so that I can like write it down and be like, okay, I mean, maybe, maybe like this is the way I'm going to formulate my plan for my family. Mm -hmm. And everyone's going to be different. Everyone's going to treat life differently. Totally. And as uh, they should. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But like knowing. You know, knowing this stuff, I mean, even just the basics of, you know, what are the amendments? Right. <laughs> it's like, dude, let's figure those out. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. Good to know. Anything else you guys think we should cover before we sign off? I was going to ask specifically, Julie, if, if there was something that you wanted to share uh, before we, you know, before we, uh, you know, fizzle out here. I mean, there's so much more to share. And like at some point we can do this again mm -hmm. and mm. we can share more. But I think the only thing I would end on is just remember you have more resources than you think mm -hmm. right you have more resources than you think um you have you know make friends look around uh, go to your local university ask questions mm. uh and you know just stand up in your rights learn a little bit more right these things are open something people should know is that you know the government has to keep everything on record everything on record every congressional hearing every statute like there are groups and offices that spend all day like that's all they do is like deal with these transcriptions and mm -hmm. print them and they have to be printed and there's all these rules right and there's a reason for that mm -hmm. there's a reason everything's on record so if you want to find something out you can find it. it and and just stand up for your right in that that you can find it just 
search engine it, mm -hmm. right? Just use a search engine and, and look because there are plenty of free resources that you can use um, like uscourts.gov. Great place to start if you want to look up a court case, uscourts.gov. Sorry, hopefully we can like link some of these. Yeah. And, um, you know, or even just getting up to date with something like SCOTUS blog. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's the Supreme Court mm -hmm. of the United States blog. So SCOTUS blog is what it's called just to get a feel for, you know, you they actually will play all the... Um, arguments so you get to hear the lawyers argue back and forth you can get a feel for these things um and then just look locally right because your state and your county will have stuff like this and if you don't know how to use it or you can't contact them gosh go to the local courthouse you know go because they are there to let you know right this is on the public record for a reason so i think that's what i would want to just put out there is you have more rights than you think you have more resources than you think and just spend a little time looking for them don't live in fear you don't mm -hmm. need to live in fear mm -hmm. you just need to you know be yourself just learn a little bit more mm -hmm. that's all i love that that's so good um julie are there there's gonna be people that hear this, I, I, I believe, I mean, um, they may want more information in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Is there a blog, a newsletter, mm -hmm. a website, something you may want to point people towards at all? So, um, I mean, the best way to contact me is my Instagram. So okay. just crunchy.legal.lady. And then I um, do have a website called sovereignpma.com. Okay. So you can find me at those places. That's a way to email me. Even even if you're not interested in PMAs or anything like that, you could use that to be able to get in touch with me. Uh, I have things kind of in the works um, in a nebulous sense right yes, now. Yes. You know, we're just getting up and going. But really my um, like all I want to do for people is just, you know, awareness. I just want to let them know. I just want to give people tools. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, I'm not just I'm just putting this out there. I'm not taking on cases. Right. I'm not going to take on people's cases. But, you know, I'm willing to help people find people who do do, do mm -hmm. take on cases and and will do stuff like that. But really, my hope is that eventually I will have lots of resources and things to give people. But right now I'm trying to do that through my Instagram and, and awareness and, and through this sovereign PMA. Love it. That's outstanding. Everybody go go hit up Julie on her instagram account you mm -hmm. heard it mm -hmm. and um yeah stay tuned for more information i'm guessing that uh we're gonna put you on the short list of man something just happened we're gonna have to figure out a way to get julie on the podcast quickly mm -hmm. part uh, two part two to talk about that thing <laughs> and uh, man if you have questions for for julie definitely hit her up and let her know um and uh yeah thank you so much for coming on today yeah thank you thank you for, for joining out. us in our podcast studio Oh my gosh, it's such it's such a pleasure. I love being here. And with that, Julie, the crunchy legal lady, has left the homegrown studio. Exciting. Very exciting. Good times. Great to have Julie out. She drove here. She did. Spent her time to come out here and talk to us. Don't know why, but man, it was a, <laughs> it was a great time. Super thankful that she she drove out. Yeah, it was an awesome conversation. Um, if you've made it this far, thank you for listening to the show today. We have some exciting announcements. Mm. I don't know if we dropped it at the beginning of the show or not, but uh, the Hazelmeyer Goods Holiday Market is like days away from its launch. Mm. What are you most excited for in the holiday market? 
Um, I've been working for like six months on these custom mugs with my friend Carrie mm. over at um, Sift Ceramics. So really stoked about those mugs. I got to hold one. Yeah, they're gorgeous. They finally came in. I've also Ridiculous. I've been working with another creator on a tallow cream that has colostrum and local honey. So that's been super fun. Like I've just been able to partner with these creators and develop something totally unique for Hazelmeyer Goods. And that's the piece. We have some other stuff too that I think is just really, really cool from um, Ohio Stoneware mm-hmm. and um, these really amazing organic cotton kitchen towels. Mm-hmm. Like there's so much stuff that I think is going to be awesome. You know what I'm most excited about? What? I am super hyped about the natural dish brushes. Oh, yeah. Coming from Germany. I'm just like a a dish brush guy. I feel special because like we had to get approved to be a retailer and like we got on the list Mm. and now it's like we are a source for these amazing brushes. Dude, uh, there's something about a brush that I just enjoy cleaning dishes with more. Yeah. And these are zero plastic. The bristles are literally horse hair Mm. and the, the handle is all wood. And so it's like zero plastic. It is really, really durable. We've had ours for almost three years now. Mm-hmm. And it's helped stood the test of time. So I'm really excited. I hope I ordered enough is my only fear with that. But I'm excited. Anyhow, super hyped about the dish brushes. We've got coffees coming, tea coming, like additional. Don't share anything else. Don't share anything else? Don't. Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we're, we're talking like double digit amount of new drops yeah, I think we all have at one time 13 new items coming 14 <sighs> if you include coffee and tea i don't know i, I don't even know. we've been bored wrap it up we're trying anyways to <laughs> anyways definitely want to get after that when it drops if you're not on the hazelmeyer goods or shop the h email list you are going to be finding out late mm-hmm. so you're going to want to be on that email list so go to shop join the email list and find out as soon as the holiday market drops so you can get in there and get after it. Mm-hmm. What else we got coming up? Should we talk about the homegrown thing? No. No? Don't talk about that yet? No. We'll, okay. we'll talk about that later. But we do have things on homegrown. <laughs> Surprise. So um, <laughs> um, things that are current are nutrition curriculum for your kids. Mm-hmm. We've got those on homegrowneducation.org. We've got What's for dinner? What's for breakfast? Those are meal plans, things to take the guesswork out of what's delicious, but also what's nourishing Mm -hmm. for your breakfast and your dinner meals. Mm -hmm. We've also got coloring books on there for your kids because everybody's had a a unicorn coloring book and it's just, it's enough. (laughs) Get a a proper coloring book for your kids. Homegrowneducation.org. You can find those there. Shopdh.com for all of your goods, coffees, teas, and the holiday market, which is coming soon. I can't stress it enough that people just need to be ready for that because it's going to be ridiculous. And there's going to be some super awesome things on there that are, these things are being made by hand. And I just, I hate it because I know stuff is going to sell out. I just, and, and we are working really hard for that not to happen. And essentially the way that this goes is that we drop something and it's really awesome and everybody loves it and it goes nuts and we can't keep it in stock. And then we work really, really, really hard to figure out production to get that thing to stay in stock. Hello, and bread boxes. I know, I know. <laughs> and we are still working hard to figure out that one. A little bit more challenging. Anyhow, yeah. we, that, that's kind of our process. And so we drop new things, they go nuts. And then we, we work really hard to figure out the, the production of that thing. And um, so anyhow, please forgive us when you f- jump on the website and know that we are working to make it happen again. 
if you want to follow us and hear from us more because you didn't hear me talk enough just now. Doubtful. Doubtful. But you can find me on Instagram. You find Elizabeth on Instagram. We are on there. Uh, hunting season's coming soon. And I get a little more active on Instagram. Mm -hmm. So if all y'all out there, I know there's so many of you that are just like, man, we're waiting for Joey's content to start hitting his Instagram page. <laughs> tired of looking at his coffee, tired of looking at his, you know, run or his, you know, lift. It's about all you get. Hunting season's coming. We will document a lot of it. Mm -hmm. and um the the good the bad and the the funny that's a big promise coming from someone who's not a content creator definitely not a content creator but a content documenter <laughs> right so anyhow i met joey hazelmeyer elizabeth or liz is that liz hazelmeyer and you can find homegrown inspiring spicy awesome content to keep you in the game and keep you inspired and educated on this journey at homegrown underscore education and until next time that's a wrap